Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. Uh, this land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories, and song, and uh, we are privileged to be part of that storytelling today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present. We are broadcasting from Redfern right now. Redfern is the birthplace of black theatre in this country and Redfern is a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. Welcome to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of color, speaking with people of color about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Darren Lasagas. I'm Sada Khan. And how much have you lent into listening to music this year? I know I have done a lot, but more than that, it is a weird time to be releasing music. One of our favourite artists here at Race Matters is Sydney's Kyver, a.k.a. Kyle Linehan. He makes dreamy, momentous electronic R&B and always with his sense of identity at the core of it. Darren, you caught up with him earlier this week to chat about it. I did, I did. Uh, I've known Kyle for a little while now and have loved watching him grow as a musician and artist over the years. And yeah, we talk about the artist that started it all for him uh, on a cassette tape in his mum's car and what it was like growing up in Avalon as a black boy. Yeah, Carl, beautiful man, beautiful stories. Can't wait for you to hear them. Oh, so can't I. So neither can I, sorry, I should say. Um, But also... Also... It's Halloween! And you know what that means? (laughs) Cultural appropriation! (laughs) Uh, No one needs to hear this, but yet everyone does. Um, We're going to remind you why you can't dress up as a Mexican, whack on a bindi, or God help us paint your face black for the holiday. I feel like... Oh, are we seeing less of it these days or not? I mean, we talked about last week the Wiggles just going hard on Papa Dumb. That's kind of the same thing. I feel it's like, a costume to them. I feel like it's definitely um, slowed down. Mm, mm. <laughs> I feel like people are being a bit more thoughtful, but there's always one that slips through the cracks. <laughs> the Wiggles. There's all the Wiggles, um, and yeah, there's always one person that has just done zero reading, zero research, gives. Zero, zero... Fs about anything. Yeah, gives, doesn't care. Just doesn't care. Just wants to live. I just want to live my life. <laughs> and, like, it's appreciation. Like, if I want to be a tree or a chair, <laughs> then, like, I should be able to be those things. Is that a Scarlett Johansson quote? <laughs> yes, it is. Thank you. Thank you for the recognition. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Halloween. It's also a good chance to look on back uh, look back on some of the shows we've done around horror. Um, but, yeah, it truly is the season. Yeah, we um, have have had a lot of good content come through in the last few years when it comes to horror and POC people driving that narrative and how horror has been like a real engine for Mm. telling stories that are really hard to tell, but in a forum, in a forum, sorry, in a genre that kind of enables people to engage with it 
but not center themselves within it. Mm. I mean, like I've just started watching Lovecraft Country. Oh, I'm yet to watch it. It's very long. Yeah. <laughs> the episodes are super long. And my partner was like, stick with it, Bob, stick with it. And I'm like, these episodes are like nearly an hour and a half long and there's 10 of them. <laughs> And I, like, have work to do. <laughs> uh, he's like, no, stick with it. And um, he's like, episode five and six, it gets really good. I'm like, that's like... That's six eight, hours that's away. <laughs> but it is actually really good. Like, it actually, he's wrong. Episode four is when it mm. starts getting really, like, everything. Because episodes one to three are just, like, a lot. It's a lot. And you don't know what story you're following. And then by episode four, it all starts to kind of slowly link in. Mm. So it gets really good. It's very well done. It's got so many levels and layers to it. I really recommend it for a horror watch. You are listening to Race Matters with Sada Khan and Daniel Sargas. Up next, we'll hear from Sydney's Kaiva. Are you relevant, discontent, ignorant? Hear the story of a youth obsession. Having sex, sending texts, cigarettes, grab a handle on my lethal weapon. Smartphone, credit debt, subset, reject all TV stations. Killing it, no shame, James Dane. When you know we on the blow, no way. I'm Darren Lasagas, and earlier this week I caught up with Kaiva. You'd be well familiar with his solo work uh, as well as his music fronting the goods, but we went a little deeper to talk about what it is that drives him to make his music, uh, his queer community, his black community, and the woman that started it all for him. So your stage name, Kaiba, um, in part references the Northern Beaches suburb which you grew up in, um, Avalon. What was it like for you growing up there? Yeah, even that sentence is strange to me because it's like I never thought that that would be the eventuating thing for this product name, this project name. Um, But uh, yeah, what was that experience like? Um, It was super bizarre. It was a bizarre experience. Um, Equally amazing and also traumatic in some ways, uh, perhaps. Um, Just a very alien experience. And I think that's something that totally informs the work that I've been writing Mm. um, for the project. And um, yeah, I I never realized what an impact it had on me until I maybe started to unearth it as an adult and moving into my adult life. And um, interestingly, I have a friend who also grew up in the area, but we we didn't become friends until after we moved into the city and like started living independently of our parents. And um, I was speaking to her, her name's Amrita, and she was just like, we'd see each other on the street as kids. Mm. and know that we couldn't speak to each other. We just had this, like, 
strange feeling that to other people in that environment wasn't like a safe place. Really? Yeah. How old were you, do you think? Um, probably like, like, I mean, definitely high school years. Mm-hmm. So like, there's definitely that. It's kind of like that like perpetual fear of being othered. Um, but in a place that you're already culturally othered was just a terrifying prospect for mm. both of us. And um, yeah, it wasn't until we met and um, started talking about that because I was like, I used to see you on the street and like imagine like we could have been fast friends like so many years before now um and um yeah and she had exactly the same experience and I don't know what where we got that information but it was just like social suicide or something to be hanging out why why do you think it was social suicide at the time for you guys to have been speaking I, I think it's definitely to do with um being being too different and two different people together makes us more of a target than we already are in that environment. Mm. And um, whereas now as an adult and, you know, coming to my, myself as a person, I'm fully confident moving through those spaces as a kid, being very aware that I didn't fit or being reminded that I was not like the other people there by everyone around me seemingly all the time made me sort of paranoid for that experience. Mm. And I feel like maybe, I don't want to speak for Amarita, maybe mm. she had a similar experience there, um, one that informed her in, of, in the same way that it was dangerous to, to chat to each other mm. and to become friends. Even though we were so drawn to each other, like yeah. I was like, you're a babe, like, I'll yeah. hang out, like, let's <laughs> yeah. do this. And then, you know, it took years for us to do that. Yeah, totally. I feel like I had similar experiences growing up in, you know, majority white um, communities and majority white schools mm. in which I guess there's also like an element of, you know, unconscious or not competition with other kind of, you know, people of color, people who yeah, look like you. And it's like, true. oh, like my group already has one of me. Like, oh I God. can't, we, there can't be another one. This tokenistic oh, yeah. sort of vibe. Like, and you internalize it. And you absolutely do. Like, and I guess that's where you know, systems like diversity and inclusiveness, like Mm. that they don't seem to work because they sort of imprint this ID, this ideology that um, there's only room for one or a couple of us at the table when it's like in actuality, that's not, that's not fairness. That's Mm. not, that's not equality. Um, And that's not something that I want to, you know, bring into my personal or professional life. Mm. I want to push up and bring up as many people of color as I can around me. Kyle, what were the the pointers in your life that drew you to music? Wow. Okay. Pointers in my life. Um, oh, that's such a tough one. I, I, I don't think there was any one thing that happened in my life that um, pointed to pointed me towards a career in music. I mean, definitely a career in music. Yeah. Can we say that? <laughs> like, because it's like, who would choose that if you had another option? You know mm. what I mean? It's pretty tough. It's mm. a tough life. But I feel like in many ways, um, it kind of chose me because uh, it's my great love. It's like the thing that I've always gravitated towards and has resonated with me. Um, so I guess one of the things that, um, uh, comes to mind when I think of, uh, yeah, pursuing that passion is probably the first time I ever heard music that really resonated with me. And, um, I can, I can 
physically still recall what that felt yeah, like. Who was it? Um, I was in the car. Um, just a little paint the scene a little bit. Yeah, I was yeah, in the car um, with my parents, and my mum was driving us around, and we had this like old tape deck or something, and she had um, uh, Aretha Franklin like on. I don't even know what tape it was. It could have been even a mixtape. I don't. I don't even know. But I would always request this song, um, Pink Corvette. Mm-hmm. Pink Corvette sounds cool. There was something about the way this woman's voice made me feel. Like, there was this equal parts elation and excitement and um, the way she would just like stream out notes and runs. Like, it felt transcendental in some way and just lifted my spirit in the most beautiful way that I found so intoxicating. And I knew at that point in whatever capacity I wanted to have that feeling in mm. my life. And it probably wasn't until years later that I actually found that I, I could potentially also do or make music um, as well. And um, so, yeah, I think as soon as I heard her voice, though, I was like, yeah, that's, that's for me. That's the life for me. I want to do that. Do you still go back and listen to Aretha? I actually, like, it took um, her passing mm. recently to rediscover her co- collection because um, I guess I just moved. Um, so, I don't know. There's, you, I guess as a young person, you kind of, like, do a lot of your... Uh, form formal like education in whatever it is that you love um, through the musical passion of your parents um, and so I think I'd moved so much further than that um, and I'd come a really f- long way away from that and so um, it took her passing to actually uh, re-inspire me um, I don't know it's, it's terrible to say um, but Sometimes it takes something like that as a reminder oh, totally. of, of the talent and the beauty that, you know, has kind of gone mm. ignored for so many years. Mm. Kind of brings you back to your roots and why you kind of started or why, why it all happened for you in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to fast forward a bit to, you know, the music you're releasing today. Um, as an artist, I know Wide World was uh, written as a response to um, the mass shooting at Pulse Nightclub mm. in um, Orlando in 2016. Mm. Can you remember how you felt when you when that news came out? Uh, um, that was such a, a tragic event. And um, I just remember feeling so... Uh, so devastated um, and so heavy and it took me a few days to actually process the names and the people and their stories um, that were tragically cut short by that um, that violent horrible uh, night and um, I guess after I kind of worked through some of that I, I started to think about what that could mean for any queer space you know um, ones that I, I, I might go to, uh, ones that, you know, a lot of my family, like, go to. Um, and so, yeah, it just really resonated me in such a deep way. And I think I even remember, like, these are these were, like, Tumblr days, right? So, mm-hmm. like, I remember, like, 
um, at Frank Ocean, like posting something, and it was just such a beautifully worded um, reaction that I felt so um, clearly pinpointed exactly how I was feeling about mm. it. And I think there's there's a lyric in Wide World that kind of um, was inspired from that actual post, which was like, you know, um, that this gunman, you know, could could be one of us, you know, and um, that feeling that um, of self hatred or unworthiness that can happen from queer experience um, really inspired me to want to put something to words um, and music about that um, experience. And so, yeah, that kind of informed the song. Mm. I remember, oh, I remember seeing the news. I think I was in an, at an airport coming back from Melbourne or yeah, I think it was in Melbourne waiting on a flight, waiting at the airport to get to a flight to Sydney and seeing it in a public space was also kind of such a shocking and jarring experience. Absolutely. And I remember it must've been like channels, like a mainstream news channel. And I was watching them tell the story and I, I could see clearly that this was about black and brown people mm. being attacked, but they mm. never, or like they, they kind of went around that information. Yeah, they sort of never, skirted yeah, around Yeah, they skirted it. around it and they never said the word queer or gay club. Yeah. And that felt like an injustice too, like Absolutely. another act of violence. And it was just yeah. like, how do you even, you know, responsibly or authentically process this grief? Yeah. And like, how much of that grief do I own? Like, you know, mm. being so far away from where this happened, yet yeah. feeling so connected. It was a very mm. confusing time. And it actually reminded me of this thing that my dad said when I first came out to him. Um, and he just said, be careful. And it really, oh. and it was like, and at the time I was like, of course I'm careful. Like, I'm... I'm old enough to know what I'm doing. Like, I'm going out to these places. I know my place, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But I think he had this, not fear of the world, but wariness of the world that there will always be people out there that will not see you the way that you see yourself or the yeah. way you see your community. Mm. And I think I really understood what he meant then. In a ter like in a, you know, horrible, horrible way. Yeah. No, but I guess that's, it's nice to have that moment of like, of realizing the fear of a parent, you know, mm. or, or what a parent goes through because they love you more than anything unconditionally. And so um, the fear that that could happen to you, um, you know, moving through a world that sometimes, I don't know, we can, we can um, uh, maybe mislabel as being more innocent than it mm. actually is. Um, there's real risk and there's real need for those safe spaces. Otherwise they wouldn't exist. Exactly. And so for that, um, atrocity to happen at, at one of those spaces made it more invasive, you know, yeah. made it more uh, of a visceral experience just be like, this is an affront to our communities wherever they are. Exactly. Um, I feel like, you know, as much as we celebrate, you know, our you know, our diversity and the way that we can connect with others um, beyond difference. Um, the reality is like black and brown bodies are, you know, political entities, you know, they're, you know, the sites that we need to decolonize consistently. And they're also, um, you know, in our outward uh, expression of our, you know, identities, we kind of forfeit safety sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I have a question for you, actually, yeah. because this is something that I have been thinking about more and I want to ask more people. Mm -hmm. um, how do you go about um, decolonizing yourself or mm. your body? It is an ongoing conversation that I have with myself mm. 
constantly. Yeah. Um, Likewise. And yeah. <laughs> and I'm always finding ways to do what I, I decolonize in the way that I love others. Um, you know, all my relationships, I kind of take a magnifying glass on them and look at the ways that I relate to my parents, relate to my partners, relate to my friends and try and frame them in a way that kind of reveals my privilege and their privilege and how we interact in that power dynamic. Yeah. And that may sound like a lot of bullshit, but it's something that I'm... No, not at all. Yeah, like I'm trying to kind of crystallize for myself. Because I guess that's something that we often, as you know, people of color, black and brown people, um, any non-white people, basically, um, we often ask uh, our white peers to do and I'm just mm. wondering I don't know it was interesting I was on uh, something recently where I was, I was asked to talk about um, the fashion industry specifically mm-hmm. and um, you know the role of appropriation on that um, in that industry and I, I find it interesting that we're often asked um, to represent our full culture or our identity um, in one of our you know little tags mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I found it interesting that these um, people that I was talking to um, who are white um, were sort of making out that the work was all theirs to do. But what I pointed out to them was is it's actually something that I've grown up with, too. Our system is built in this way. Um, and so I have to check myself and my privileges and also understand that the lens with which I see the world is one that's not maybe not correct, mm-hmm. you know. And so decolonizing that, um, I think, is really interesting. Yeah, and that's something that uh, I don't think is very much talked about. No, in, definitely. In like white media anyway. Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I totally resonate with your idea of looking at the lens in which I see the world and mm-hmm. seeing it as wrong because. At the end of the day, like being uh, a child of, you know, immigrants in Australia, I'm also benefiting off the displacement of the indigenous people here. Like Asian populations in Australia have benefited off government policy that has allowed them to come to this country. Yes, for great opportunities. Yes, to build new lives away from the mainland, but at the cost of the indigenous people who, you know, have rightful ownership of this land. And that's something that I am reckoning with constantly. And I have to be aware of, you know, how much I benefit from that proximity to, to whiteness, to the colony. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Mm. Mm. Um, I want to talk about another song of yours, Dollar yeah. Sign, which we love oh, here at FBI. Um, it always gives me like Dev Hines level production. Uh, uh, every time I listen to him, I'm like, yeah, Dev could Dev could have done this. Oh, that's <laughs> bad. I have yeah. to pass that on to um, Al and Sam who oh, produced yeah. the track because, um, yeah, they'd be they'd be stoked Good. to hear I'm that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what compelled you to write write Dollar Sign? Um, yeah, at the risk of sounding like someone who just only <laughs> writes stuff about, like, you yeah. know, their lived experiences and, like, you know, whatever's in their brain. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, financial uh, burden is, like, something that's, I guess, a lot of musicians, a lot of artists, a lot of creators um, come up against. And um, I don't know, in my life, I just, I've just always felt like this... Uh, this proximity with money and this idea of money and how it has a, a set, like a c- control over what what I can and can't do and um, how I move through spaces and where I can go and just 
every facet of my life seems to be run by money. So I was like, well, obviously it's such an, a huge um, driver in so many ways in my life. I just wanted to pick apart the system because I was kind of like resentful, mm. <laughs> kind of came from a place of resentment. Yeah. I was resentful that, you know, um, if I don't have the means, then I can't, I don't have choices to do things. And um, and so it's. I guess it started there. The idea um, behind the song started there, but then it started to, you know, from a stream of consciousness um, uh, writing style um, that I took on for the song, It's. I started to sort of delve a little deeper and realize that um, my, uh, my relationship with money is way more complicated and nuanced than I had thought. And, um, yeah, and so, I, I don't know, the end result is dollar sign. And so I kind of let it speak for itself. I don't yeah, really yeah. know what it is. Like, it kind of feels like braggadocious and yeah. like a little hip-hop, which is like so not my lived experience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, it sort, sort of felt empowering to like take that on, but also to, I don't know, the, the rhythm behind the song is sort of like a chain gang sort mm. of like sound. And um, there's something about that sort of stumble that feels like the chain bondage to the system which, which, with which we're living in. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe it's more of a question that than an answer for us yeah. to reckon with as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Darren, I wish I had answers, but I seem to have more <laughs> but questions. why are you here, Kyle? <laughs> why don't we ask you to come? I'm sorry, man. Sorry. <laughs> Um, it kind of leads me to my next thought, which um, we kind of touched on before and is, I feel, inherently linked to money um, or more broadly, um, you know, capitalism is this idea of performative activism, mm. um, especially from a corporate angle or from, you know, organizational activism, mm. um, you know, the era of the black tile, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and how much our identities are wrapped in this system. And yeah. how it can be kind of manipulated or, you know, used sometimes to our advantage, most times to a disadvantage. Yeah. Um, you touched on this before, but you've worked a lot in the creative industry. Mm. How much have you kind of experienced microaggressions at the hand of, you know, my, white moderates in your field? Oh, oh. <laughs> Even that question just like is sends me a wave of oh, like no. of memories <laughs> and lived experiences. Like yeah. I don't know, um, especially in this country, as you would mm. know. Oh god, I can't even stop laughing about it. It's like crazy. But yeah, like I've worked in media in this country and I've worked in, in as a creator in this country and it's kind of like that you can't navigate any space without having those experiences, unfortunately. And I hope, I really do hope that we're on the precipice of change and things are moving forward in that regard. But um, yeah, for me, I, I, countless, countless experiences. And one I could probably um, tell off the top of my head was uh, learning, like I, I've, I've actually... <laughs> I've actually, this is quite funny. Okay. Like I've been on uh, like the books uh, like of a modeling agency, like for 15 of my years, Darren, mm -hmm. like 15 <laughs> years of my life. Like, That's a long time. Right? Did that mean you were a That's, child model? I mean, like, no, but <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the <laughs> compliment. Um, but it's funny to say this because like, I only say this because like... <laughs> I've been there 15 years and I've only got my first job this year. What? In 2020. Yeah. My first ever gig as a model. And so I find 
that the timing around that is mm. is way too um, it, it's it's way too convenient because I've been around maybe some of my best years like you know <laughs> have been missed <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um, I've been here you know I've been here um, and uh, yeah in in my experience um, my very limited experience working in that field of interest um, yeah I have been regarded as um, culturally approachable before and um, it's kind of gross to even talk about Mm. but um, and it was said to me in a well-meaning way oh said to you directly said to me directly yeah directly yeah yeah. and indirectly but like Mm. yeah I've I've heard it directly Mm. um, in in the way that um, perhaps you know I'm better received from a white perspective um, because I'm not um, uh, I, I'm not scary or you know a threatening personality or in the way that I look um, and culturally approachable meaning that you know I wasn't too black I'm black but you know you know like not too black mm. not offensively black and I don't know how anyone who's spouting that out can think that that's going to be perceived well but um that's just one experience mm-hmm. that i've had in many yeah. years of um of microaggressions and mm. i don't even know if you could class that as my that's pretty that's pretty overt racism <laughs> seemed that way yeah um can you i mean can you reveal how you like how did you respond i think you know i would like to like be um you know an absolute legend and mm. say that I was like super witty and mm. was able to to um you know call the person out for what they were doing but in all honesty I was probably so flabbergasted with the comment in the time and place and I'm sure a lot of your listeners will like actually relate to that experience of just being like so gobsmacked by yeah. that level of ignorance that yeah. you don't even have anything to say in the moment um, yeah, I wish. Oh I my wish God. we could hit the playback button and go back and just go and just check that full. Yeah. But I feel like know. I have so many markers in my history. I'm like, I want to rewind back to that bit, to that oh bit, God, to that so bit. So many times. Uh, yeah, we talk about it a lot on the show and it feels like a punch in the gut. You know, you're winded. It's Absolutely. like you're winded. You literally can't speak. Exactly. That's the experience to a T. Like falling out of a tree, breathless, winded. Mm. Yeah, that yeah. feeling. And it makes us question um, our places in certain spaces. I mean, mm. we have imposter syndrome, not only as young people being forced into like these mentalities of paying our dues and like being grateful for opportunities, but, you know, as black and brown people questioning the validity of our, our successes, you know, the timing of you being booked for shows like now, like what do you do to remind yourself that you're more than enough? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think inherently I always knew that that was the case. So it is, as you say, a reminder. You have to remind yourself um, because it's not something that you don't know. It's just something that you need to be present in in knowing. Um, and I think I do that by engaging with those of my friends around me who are, you know, um, who who can speak to that experience. 
um, I had recently the most incredible experience um, in the the heat of the wave of um, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement in the states, and and it was just so absolutely exhausting for for me personally. Even being here, like so far from ground zero, um, it, it just felt like everything around me was like. Uh, was either asking me demanding questions about, you know, my take, how I felt about things, um, to be a spokesperson for my race and everyone around me, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, dealing with microaggressions at work and, like, all kinds of crazy things going on in my life. And I was just like, I'm really done. Like, I'm so exhausted. And um, in the heat of that storm, a friend um, organized a black brunch and just got all of us together. And it was just, like, the most spiritually feeling experience like it just felt to create a space for us to come together and share our experiences and share food and have communion and talk about you know some of the bullshit that had actually happened to us (laughs) um was just such an unburdening and um and i left feeling so like recharged and refilled from that experience so i guess in answer i would say um, that communion is is paramount to, mm. to your um, to your recharging and your your self love, um, and then just taking some time to read and listen to music and um, be inspired by you know the beautiful culture around us that is created for us and by us. I feel like that is my favorite place to be, and um, yeah, it gets me through the hardest of times. Um, I feel like you've talked a lot about, um, you know, when you talk about your music in the past, self-discovery as being, you know, the focus of Kaiva, the project of Kaiva. Mm. What has 2020 taught about yourself? Oh, wow. I feel like I've done some aging this year. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I've done some serious aging. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's time to crack out like a serious moisturizer for, mm-hmm. for you, you know, a night cream, time, a night cream, night cream, an yep. under eye. That's mm-hmm. what I need. Um, yeah, no, this year has been tough, but, um, I think I've, I, I've just been doing some deep, deep diving. Um, it's forced me to go home and, um, and, uh, you know, have conversations with those that I love around me who might not have that experience. It's, uh, forced me into a place of, um, reconnecting with my family and talking to them about experiences that have happened to them. Um, and when I have the energy, um, engaging with people and calling stuff out that I, as I see it, you know, um, that's not always something that I, I'm confident or comfortable doing because of, um, you know, just energy. Yeah, energy, <laughs> yeah, energy safety, safety yeah. all of those things. Um, but I feel like where we're moving is a really positive, really positive thing. And also it's kind of, 2020 has actually taught me to put more of myself out there that's about joy and about the experiences in my life, how I'm actually living my life. I'm not some horrible, sad story. The one that maybe the media might speak about me and people like me. Um, And so, yeah, I've been driven by that, just trying to write more of um, what I'm actually feeling inside and about my experience day to day. Yeah. 
Uh, we are nearing the end of our time together, Kyle, but there is uh, a question that we ask all our guests, which I think maybe you might be familiar with, but uh, Kyle, when did you realize there was power in your race? Ooh, such a big question. <laughs> yeah. It's such a big one. So I'm whopped over the head with that yeah. one. When did I realize? I, I genuinely feel like that's something that I've always known, but I must have had to have learned it at some point and maybe I'm lucky because I feel like not having that actual memory of having learnt it means that it came to me very early on and I would have to attribute that to my mother. Um, She was always uh, championing black culture in our household and um, so I feel like maybe it was that car ride that I alluded to earlier and listening to black music in my home that actually solidified this thing in me that we are fly, like, and we can fly. And um, so I've always known it and I haven't had a fear about doing that myself. And so I want to continue to do that and show other people how to do that and find that place in themselves. Um, Thanks, mom. Thanks, mom. Yeah. She's gold. I love that. Thank you so much, Kyle. Thank you, Darren. Oh, that's so nice. Um, Thank you so much for sharing the space here. Um, We've been a long time, you know, long time fans of you. And we've always talked about getting on the show. Um, So really appreciate you taking the time to to chat with us. I'm touched to be here. Thank you so much. to Race Matters. I'm Darren Lasagas. And I'm Sada Khan. We are well and truly into spooky season. I mean, it's day one of spooky season. I mean, what is spooky season? It is Halloween. <laughs> um, which, like, I, whenever I hear Halloween in my head, I think of um, my nephew because there's this song that he listens to on repeat on YouTube for kids and it's this guy, I can't even remember his name, but he does like a kid's children's Halloween song. He's like, Halloween Halloween I just love Halloween That's so cute! I know, that's all I get in my head whenever I hear it now but, um Especially because my nephew can't say he's L, so he's like Halloween. Oh, bless, <laughs> bless his soul. But um, I mean, every time it gets to Halloween, as Indigenous people, POC people, Black people, like we have a moment of fear, of anxiety, <laughs> don't we? We do because it's just like clenching up, like oh, it's a bit clenched, isn't it? Who's gonna steal from me this year? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we are talking about the phenomena that is dressing up as another culture, another ethnicity, another race as a costume for Halloween. Why is it problematic? Why is it frowned upon? Why is it wrong? I mean, so many reasons. 
There's so many reasons. I feel like we've just unpacked this, unraveled it, smashed it open, put it all back together about 50 billion times. And then there's always just one white person that don't want to listen. And it's like, but why not? Why can't I? And when it comes to them people, I'm like, can we just like shut you out from everything? Can we stop you? Like, Can we blacklist you from every type of enjoyment that you get from Halloween? <laughs> just blacklist them as soon yeah. as someone like comes up to me and like well why can i yeah. i'm like okay now i know the name clock that i'm gonna badmouth you to everyone and <laughs> not let you know because <laughs> like you should know better yeah i mean it comes down i mean this year alone i mean people white people included are reckoning with the idea of race and racism sometimes for the some for a lot of cases for the first time ever yeah. in their lives yeah they're acknowledging that it exists they're acknowledging that it affects the people around them in ways that it will never affect them, ever. Yeah. And yet you will always find one or two people who will hear the conversation and just miss the mark a little bit, rock up to a Halloween party, they'll have like a poncho on, they'll have a, a, a little a little moustache, mm-hmm. and then you're going to have to have that conversation like, hey, well, what, what, are, you, what are you dressed up as? Yeah. And they're going to be like, oh, I'm a Mexican. And think about it, like you are lining up this Mexican costume with, you know, a vampire next to you. Yeah. You're lining it up with, what what else? A goat. You know what I mean? A goat. A A ghost to reduce these identities to just like costumes and play things. Might seem harmless. It might seem like a bit of fun, but you're reducing this entire culture this entire community this way of life this lived experience into this tiny little flagrant little thing that rejects and erases any sort of power dynamic that exists between you and them it's also really insulting as well when you ask back but why i don't see the problem with it because it's like are you that entitled? You can't think of anything else. Your brain has zero capacity to reach any further out beyond what you think you like, which is also just like creatively stupid. It's not even good. It doesn't even look deadly on you. You look silly. Take it off. <laughs> like you don't even, like even outside of the conversation of, of like, you know, whether it's wrong or right, it's wrong. There's no debate around it. Yeah. But even still, it's like you look like a fool. Yeah. <laughs> And you can't separate your act from the history of the things that you are doing. Like, there is a legacy of blackface that is rooted in white supremacy. Yeah. Rooted in it. It's just And like, you can't separate yourself from mm, that. And I feel like Australia particularly, like, the racism here is so different to other places in terms of how little critical thinking especially around race theory there is we've had this conversation with teela reed before as Mm. well as how there's not enough enough, like critical race theory and critical race thinking in this country that's directed and determined by black peoples so because there's such a lack of that happening here because black peoples are so excluded and gatekeeped outside of a lot of these spaces where that can function um there is a kind of like lack of um realization and reckoning here compared to like other colonized places around the world where that might have occurred i mean it's not to say that it's never going to happen but it does demonstrate how um i guess simple-minded white people are here when it comes to culture like how one dimensional they are about it 
and it is like you know whereas you look at other places in the states like it, like I, like I, remember, I always go back to when Har- Harry Connick Jr. was here and he was he was on Hey Hey It's Saturday and they were like oh we want to pay homage to you coming from the states and they dressed up in black faces to Jackson Five mm. and he was and they were like here like hurrah for you and he was just like the look on his face was yeah. just like. And he was like, this is disgusting. How dare you? This is so inappropriate. And called them out right there on the spot. And he got, like, um, flack for that. Yeah. It's like all the audience oh, is here. just a bit like, of fun. Yeah, just a bit of fun. It's a, bit fun. Just a joke, mate. You don't get Australian humour. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come from? That's scary. That was scary. That, 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 was, that was our traumas there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> These things that I we blocked out. Look, you know what? You can just literally Google what can I dress up for Halloween. Here are some ideas: Powerpuff Girls. Powerpuff Girls. Also, I <laughs> sorry, just to take away. From you. No, 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 I just no, no. This is so relevant because, like, um, I watched the Halloween episode for Friends, um, the other day, and I was just like, this is great. Like, they actually showed, demonstrated, like, no, not one person here, and it's a party of all white people. <laughs> Back in 2002 <laughs> as well, no one person here has dressed up as a culture. I mean... That's surprising to me. Surely, so surely someone there is Pocahontas or something. I think they just got lucky. I, think it was, <laughs> I don't think they were like having a conversation of like, we shouldn't dress up as a culture yeah, this yeah, year, yeah. guys. Yeah, I yeah. think they just came up with other ideas. Wow. But they, I think like Monica was Catwoman. Mm. Phoebe was... Um, Superwoman, um, Rachel was like, I'm coming in a dress that like I can't wear in a few months because I'm pregnant. Um, <laughs> oh my god, the funniest one was Joey came as Chandler, and then um, Ross came as Spudnik, so he came yeah. as like an antenna in a big potato suit, and Chandler was dressed up in a bunny rabbit costume. See how easy it is. See how easy it See is. See how simple it is. I mean, it's just like it's just. Stupid. Like, I don't have any words for it. It's the same thing with the Papadum video from the Wiggles. Oh, my God. You're stupid. (laughs) I'm not offering you any type of further learning and emotional labor on my end about this. You're just dumb. You look like a fool. You don't look clever. Go home and just have a look at yourself. And call yourself stupid when you look at yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Sit there and say, I am stupid. (laughs) That's your your costume for Halloween, stupid. You are listening to Race Matters with Sada Khan and Darren Lasagas. It is Halloween. Scary. Spooky. <laughs> Scary. Um, and yeah, before we leave you, we just want to have a quick chat about some of the incredible horror that we've consumed in mm. the part, oh, in our lives because some of that shit never dates, you know. Some of it is timeless. Oh, proper timeless. Especially like- the stuff done by, you know, amazing people of colour. I mean, Jordan Peele's Get Out will never... It's iconic. It's such a reference for the end of time now. Mm. Like when we were talking about Papadum video and Auntie Sister Girl (gasps) in the video and we were like, is she in the sunken place? It's a cultural reset. Like literally we'll have moments where we're in places where like it's all white people and you're like, this is a bit Get Out, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, that's a bit Get Out. It's like blink twice if you're okay. Like, you know what I mean? Because we never had an identifier for we it didn't. before. We knew it. We knew it. We, we knew, knew the something feeling. was off. We knew the feeling. But man, he really just set us up there and yeah. gave us such a like, like a like, not a weapon, but just like a like yeah, a great you said tool. it. Identifier, yeah. Yeah, the great language. tool to use. He gave us a good box of tools. Every time I think about horror, I think about this movie I watched when I was a kid. Um, I think we talked about it on the horror episode we did a few months ago. Um, it's called Shudder. 
and it's an Indonesian <gasps> yes. horror film. Um, and I think with lots of like ghost stories um, in Asian cinema, be it you know Japanese, Indian, uh, Indonesian, I think Filipino as well. A lot of it deals with um, violence against women. Yes, and the way that men are tormented by the acts that they've done, and. Uh, you know, watching that as a little gay boy, I just be like, what? Why is everything happening? <laughs> and then it wasn't until later that I realized how impactful they were, you know, thematically for the audiences. And yeah, I, it's, it has stayed with me forever. It's called Shutter. Yeah, that was the same for me, but it was The Ring, but mm. I watched the American one. Um, but I was nine years old and I was watching oh it in God. Pakistan on like a um, pirated <laughs> DVD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the video stores in Pakistan are pirated yeah. DVD shops. You can see people standing up in the cinema like... No, oh. it was actually a good copy. Oh, that's good. It was a good copy. Mine but, had that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we had watched that. Um, and then I remember doing further research when I got to university about The Ring and about um, Asian cinema mm. and where a lot of them stories come from. And also why it's a bit problematic for when they get whitewashed into American oh, cinema. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Which, there is an Asian-ness about them that doesn't yeah. necessarily get translated into American cinema. Like, isn't isn't the grudge, like, didn't Sarah Michelle Gellar, like, go to Japan, then fly to America and, like, bring it with her? Yeah. <laughs> like, just stay there. Just stay there. I thought she died in the first one as well. I, I can't remember. No, she doesn't. She's stuck with it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I watched the cinema sins on it recently. So, sometimes what I do as well, if you want to watch some horror, but you're too <laughs> gammon scared to watch it, watch cinema sins with it. <laughs> It's yeah. like, because like, that fella, he does like everything wrong with this movie. So I'm like, mm. okay, I can watch it, but with a bit of comedy on top. Yeah. Because yeah. he commentates through it. Yeah. It's so easy to be consumed by it. And I'm just like, oh, they're in my house. Like that is <laughs> happening to me right now. Yeah. I cannot go to sleep tonight. <laughs> but I'm definitely consuming all of Lovecraft Country at the moment. It's full of sci-fi, mm. full of horror, full of spirits. It's emotionally like, oh intense the music in it is great um it speaks directly to racial segregation and white supremacy within the u.s um but doesn't focus it on the deep south it focuses it in the cities Mm. and on top of that the performances in it are deadly there's a bit of an indiana jones to feel to it at some point it's got everything Mm um it's like Look like you know it definitely looks into like black men men and queerness as black men i mean it's it's absolutely everything all packed into one i I kind of understand now why the episodes are so long i'm having that realization i'm like oh that's why this isn't friends are this is love country i think it speaks to my attention span you're a busy girl you're busy i'm a simple-minded girl that's what i am just tell me now that is all for Race Matters this week. I'm Darren Lasagas. And I'm Sada Khan. Don't forget you can find us wherever you get your podcasts or on our website. Um, that's fbiradio.com forward slash race matters. Catch you next week. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> no, I'm not I'm not gonna go there. Halloween, Halloween. Don't culturally appropriate on Halloween. <laughs> Race matters. 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 Race matters.